بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما وسددوا شريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد This is session number 84 in our series Islam's Greatest Personalities and part 33 of the seerah of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Last session we spoke about Taif very good mashallah it's been two weeks but brother Litton's remembered very well everybody else is still half asleep I think I'm gonna have to wake you up so we spoke about Ta'if two weeks ago the journey of Ta'if what experience the Prophet had and what the outcome was now I just want you to think about that keep that in your mind what's just happened and what did the Prophet go through so today's discussion would be around inviting tribes and individuals to Islam and without even like going into the detail what does that tell you what, that, what does that tell you this is the following topic from Taif what does that tell you it didn't go well yes other than that he's determined to carry on this is it even though it didn't go well, it went very badly, not well. Okay, it was the worst day of his life. The Prophet himself said, somebody asked him, which was the worst day of your life? And they were making reference to what happened in Uhud. And the Prophet said, Uhud was hard, but Taif was really hard. And he said, I've never, I've never had a day like that before. And that was... The Prophet was so distraught, he was so hurt physically, emotionally, he was down. He, from all sides, because he went with so much hope, no one had physically, the Quraysh had physically beaten him like that. The Quraysh did a lot, but they didn't treat him in that way, where they pelted him for such a long distance, for so long, and continuously, mercilessly, that hadn't happened. Um, so after that, we think, you know, if you were in that situation, just think about it. Okay, we're not in the exact same situation, but when, you've, when you're trying to achieve something, and that's the kind of reaction you get, right? Not just people telling you to get lost, but you're getting pushed away, spat at, stones thrown at, and you, you, you're kind of ridiculed, you're physically abused. You'd probably just pack up shop and go home and just sit in a corner and put your head down. The Prophet ﷺ, after he returned from Makkah, he returned to, to Makkah from Ta'if, the first thing he did was, he continued calling people to Islam in full force. He went for it. Right, that didn't work. I'm going to carry on. Because he knew that this was his mission. Whether people listened or not, it's not about the result. It's not about the outcome. It's not about how many people, how many followers you have, who likes and who doesn't. It's not about that. And if we can overcome this hurdle, then 
regardless of what happens, what comes our way, yeah, it's not, it's not going to be easy. Difficulty is difficulty. If you go in a room and it's hot, you're going to feel hot. If it's cold, you're going to feel cold. They're human beings. The Prophet وسلم, and all of the Prophets, they were Prophets, they were great people. But they were humans as well at the same time. So it's not as if, oh, somebody can say, oh, he was a Prophet, so he could have carried on. I can never do that. Well, he was very hurt. He bled as well. It hurt. Physically, he was in pain. Emotionally, he was in pain. And you can tell from the way he's making dua, the things he's saying, the way Allah's consoling him. He was very, very, very hurt. And the Prophet ﷺ, for those who didn't know, was quite sensitive as well. Very sensitive. Like the Sahaba say that, if he would be angry, we could tell from his face. You know, some people are very good at hiding how they feel. The Prophet ﷺ, he was very, you could just tell. He wasn't someone who, you know, he was hidden. He wouldn't hide his feelings or he was very expressive. And there's many, many incidents you hear about when he's happy, when he's joyful, when he's frustrated with somebody, when he was angry. You can see all of these things. So they say that we could just tell because the color of his face would change. And you, he didn't get angry on loads of occasions. But whenever he did, it's noted, it's in the books. He actually mentioned the color of his face changed. There was a vein between on his forehead when he would give the khutbah in Jumu'ah, that would become apparent. So this is important for us to understand the human side of great people so that we don't just dismiss it thinking, oh, they were like, they were big timers, they were big shots. That doesn't apply to us. No, they were human beings as well. And they had a human side. So this we can connect to them. So the Prophet ﷺ, he came back. Now, this is the question is, you might be thinking, well, how was he able to carry on? How was he able to get up the next day, pull up the pieces together, get himself together, and go back doing the same thing for which he's being ridiculed for, pushed around for? And this is the spirit is this. The spirit was, he wasn't looking for numbers. He wasn't doing it to just, it wasn't the result, it's not the outcome. He was doing it because Allah had told him to do it. It wasn't how many people follow, how many, you know, likes do you get. And unfortunately, today it's all become about that. On a macro scale or a micro scale, wherever we are, whether it's online or whether it's in person, in every field, it's all about, that's what it's about, it's about the apparent. And that can be very depressing because you can't last long then. And then people give up or they get frustrated or you kind of change your way. You have to change yourself. People then start, uh, they start, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Compromising on their values and they start changing. The Prophet didn't change. Even though he went through so much, he, his message was the same. He still said, no, I don't agree with the idols. Like, do away with the idols. Believe in one Allah only. His message didn't change. He didn't change. Because, and he was told, even when he did go down that route, right, what we're speaking about, where he wanted certain things, as an outcome, he was told, the outcome is not in your hand. Abu Talib was not going to accept. He didn't accept. You can't do anything about it. You're not responsible for the outcome. You're responsible for making the effort. So in full force, the Prophet goes back to inviting people in Makkah. Now, 
So he didn't kind of just think, okay, I'm going to just do the same thing in Mecca. Obviously, he faced a lot of opposition in Mecca, and this is why he went to Taif. So now, how can he stay in Mecca but still carry out the invitation? What's, what's the um, advantage of being in Mecca? Hajj. Exactly. So this is refreshing, isn't it? You're not seeing the same people. You're seeing new people. So this was the advantage of being in Mecca. So the Makkans had already heard it for a number of years. He'd been trying, 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 trying. Didn't really get too far. The people who accepted, accepted. Otherwise, there was a lot of opposition. And generally, it was known that the people of Mecca didn't accept him. He tried Ta'if, didn't go well at all. So now, what he does is, the Hajj season was upcoming. Now, in the early days, it wasn't like now. Now it's become like, just now, as I was walking in, a brother asked me, I said, brother, I need to ask you something. I said, what is it? Because can you tell me the exact date for Hajj? I need to take, take off time for work. And I said, well, just hang on because everything's in the air at the moment. And, you know, there's no clear announcement of how Hajj is going to work this year. Last year was a shambles. This year, we still don't know. There are announcements. There are unofficial announcements, official announcements, and we're still waiting to hear exactly what it's going to be. Allah make it easy for everyone. That's one dua I'm going to make. Allah make it easy and give the Saudi government the tawfiq and knock some sense into them so that they can give people time to prepare and plan and not do things last minute because it affects so many people in so many ways in, in, in all ways. But I told him, just hang on. Don't book anything up right now because you just don't know what they're going to release and how it's going to work. Um, so, and the reason I'm saying this is now, it's sad that because of the rising costs, people are kind of going for Hajj like just for like two weeks, 10 days, like just squeezing it all in. Whereas before people would go for Hajj, if they're going for Hajj, they'd go for like seven weeks, eight weeks. And when you'd arrive, it'd be all empty. You can do as many tawaf as you want. You'd see people coming slowly, slowly, it gets busy, and then it starts to get quiet again. And then that went down to six weeks, to five weeks, to four weeks, to three weeks, to two weeks. And now people are going literally just for the five days and coming back. Um, and for different reasons. So in those days, people would travel for Hajj, either by foot or on animals. And they'd come from all different areas. So people started coming for the Hajj. The Hajj season hadn't come yet, but the people started arriving. Uh, some people came walking from a distance, some people were riding camels, some on horses. So when people started arriving, the Prophet would take full advantage of the Hajj season, season every single year. He would go to the people, all types of people, he would go to individuals, he would go to tribes, he would go to groups. He would go to caravans, people were eating, he'd turn up, he just, he just made the most of the Hajj season and he presented his message. And if he heard especially some reputable person is coming, he wouldn't miss the opportunity. Because remember, if a person is influential, uh, a person is reputable, then you know that they're not alone. They'll go back, they'll speak to their people. And so many more people will benefit as well. So the Prophet would not miss this kind of opportunity. This preaching during the Hajj, he actually started from much earlier on, in the fourth year of prophethood. So he's been doing that since then. 
But now he's increased his efforts because the people of Makkah don't want to know. Ta'if people don't want to know. So this was his next option. Now, what would he say? So his main invitation was towards a few things, first of all. The first was to invitation to Islam. So believe in Allah alone. Don't ascribe any partners with him. That was number one. So this was one message he's given. So every single tribe that we're going to speak about today, this is the invitation he's given. Believe and worship only one Allah. Do not ascribe any partners with him. So abandon idol worship, believe and worship only one Allah. That's the first part of the message. What was the second thing he'd say? The second thing he needed was protection. And that is what he was asking the tribes. I said, I want your... So first of all, this is what I want. I want you guys to accept Islam. Well, in, inviting you to accept Islam and abandon idol worship. So the second thing that I'm asking from you is I want you to protect me. Grant me protection. Uh, and what does he mean by protecting? Basically, I want to continue calling people to Islam. That's what I want to do. So whatever it takes to enable that, I want your support in that. If that means protection, if that means giving me refuge, if that means weapons, if that means army, whatever it is, I want your protection. And the third thing he would say that if you do one and two, I guarantee you number three, and that is Jannah. This, is, this was his message, very short, to the point, and this is what he was telling literally everyone. So we're going to go through different tribes today, some of the tribes. And when I say he invited them, these are the three things he's saying to literally all of them. All of these stories that come in the various books of Sirah, they all mention these three things. So in this period, he's looking for Islam, protection, and then promising them paradise in Jannah. So, the first tribe he goes to is called Banu Kinda, the Banu Kinda tribe. Sayyidina Abbas radiallahu anhu, who's the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he's telling this story. He said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once said to me, that I don't find you and your brother Abu Lahab have enough strength to protect me. You guys, remember his, Abu Talib has passed away. Abu Lahab kind of became a little bit active because of Khaliya and nationalism and the family kind of, you know, he thought family pride. So he's telling his uncle Abbas, that you and your brother, meaning Abu Lahab, you can't protect me. So what I want you to do, can you take me to the markets tomorrow and show me where the different tribes camp out and where they live during the Hajj season? I want you to take me and point them out to me, introduce me to those tribes. And this is what he's seeking. He's seeking for another tribe to accept Islam so he gets protection, so he can carry on doing the work he wants to do. So Abbas says the following day, I took the Prophet and I showed him around. I said, look, can you see? This is a huge tribe over here. They've come down here. These are the Kinda tribe. This is the Kinda tribe. They're the best people arriving for Hajj from Yemen. There is no one better than the tribe of Kinda from Yemen. These are the best people who've come for Hajj. And then he took him to another corner. And said, look, can you see all these people camped out over here? This is the place where the tribe of Bakr bin Wa'il are resting. And he took him to another side. And he said, this is Banu Amir bin Saqsa'ah. So three huge tribes, the Prophet was shown 
by Abbas in the markets. So in these markets of Uqar, this is where they would set up their camps and stay throughout the Hajj season. They're not from Mecca, so they come, they put their tents up, and that's where they're staying. So this is Banu Kinda and what's the other one? Bakr bin Wa'il and Banu Amir bin Sa'sa'a. Abbas said, Oh Muhammad, choose whichever one you want. Go to anyone, choose any of them. They're all fine. You could start with any of them. The Prophet decided to start from the Kinda tribe because he was told that from the people of Yemen, these are the best people who have arrived for Hajj. The chief of the Kinda tribe, his name was Mulayyih. He was also present amongst the people. So the Prophet he went to the people, he went he goes to this tribe. So imagine these people have come from Yemen, they've come to do the Hajj. It's not Hajj time yet. So they're all chilling out in their tribes. The Prophet appears to their tribe and he says, Mimmanil Qawm. Where are you from? This is what we say when we meet people. Which where are you from? So they said, Min Ahli Yemen. We are the people of Yemen. So the Prophet said, Min in Yemen, which tribe of Yemen? Okay, I understand you're from Yemen. Where in Yemen are you from? So they said, Min Kinda. We are from the Kinda tribe. Then the Prophet then asked, Min Ayy Kinda, from the tribe of Kinda, which branch are you from? Specifically. So as people ask you, which village are you from in India? Or where in Pakistan? Or where in Bangladesh are you from? And then they want to go right to the bottom of it. And the reason is trying to find some kind of link, so just to understand each other. So the Prophet which branch of Kindani was told from Banu Amr bin Muawiyah? Banu Amr bin Muawiyah. So the Prophet said, Do you have any desire to attain a lot of, like, an abundance of goods? Are you interested in like some an abundance of goodness? This is the next question he says to them. Do you want to hear something really good? So they said, What is it? Tell us what it is first. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, the goodness that I'm sharing with you is that you bear testimony that there is no God besides Allah and that Muhammad meaning me and the Messenger of Allah you establish the Salah and you believe in everything that's come from Allah so this was the message that he gave some of the oldies that were in the tribe they said if you gain victory it seemed like you know you know what you're doing you're trying to you know preach this if you gain victory and dominance over the Arabs Will you give us some of your powers? Will you give us a share in your kingdom? It seems you're going to become a ruler, you're going to become a king. With this kind of messaging, because you're opposing everybody else. Seems like you want dominance. If you become dominant, will you share some of your power with us? Will you make us kings and rulers as well? The Prophet said, This is kingdom belongs to Allah. Allah gives it to who he wants. I'm, I'm not going to give you any kingdom. If that's what you want, like, don't keep your hopes up high. I don't give kingdom to anyone. Kingdom belongs to Allah. Allah gives it and places it where he wants. As soon as they heard this, that the Prophet is inviting them, but they're not willing to give them anything. They said, we don't really need what you're preaching. 
We don't need this. If it's not going to make us appeal to rulers and to kings, we're not going to get really like to become a millionaire or something. We're not interested. Do you want us to stop worshipping idols and cut off from the rest of the Arabs? Idols is what our forefathers worshipped. You're telling us to stop doing that. Also, you want us to be all different to everybody else. Everyone's doing one thing, they're going to cut us off. We're going to become alone. Go back to your people. We don't need you. We don't need your message. We're not interested. Go away. So the Prophet said, Says they have faces of kings and feet of treacherous people. Meaning they want to be kings, but the way they're acting, like they've, they've run away from it. As soon as they've been told what they need to do, they've run away. He's saying, what kind of people are these? You want to, they're asking for becoming kings. When it comes to doing the work and grafting, they're not interested in running away. So, the Banu Kinda were known to be the nicest people. So these people were supposed to be good akhlaq, very nice people. And this is what attracted the Prophet to start with. Why did he start with the Banu Kinda? He was told, this is the, these are the best type of people, they have very good character. So the Prophet he went to these people and he went again when he found some of them in the Uqaz market. So the Prophet said, you know, he addressed them again and the people said, it sounds good. What you're saying sounds very good, but we will only worship what our forefathers worshipped. What you're saying sounds good, but practically we can't move away from what our forefathers, especially when it comes to worship. So from amongst the tribe, the youngest person stood up and he said, Oh people, I advise you to accept this message before the rest of the Arabs. But he seemed this mission has only just started. No one really knows about it. It's the early days of Bitcoin, right? In the early days, everyone said, this has started now, it's gaining momentum. Everyone get on the bandwagon. Otherwise, later on, it'll be all diluted. I said that, everyone's like interested now. Anyway. So he says that these are the early days. If you beat other people too, accepting his message, uh, this is a good chance for you. The people of the book, meaning the Yahud in particular, they've been saying for some time that a final prophet is going to appear in the Haram of Makkah. It seems this is him. Who's saying this? This is a... Hmm? Who's saying this? Young man. So young man said this. Now a blind man speaks up. So you had an old man, a young man, and a blind man. Next is going to be Irish one. A blind man from the tribe speaks up and said, listen to my advice. Listen to my advice. His own people have rejected him. His own people. Now this is kind of like, he's blind, but he's using his brain, thinking, hang on a second. He's telling us, what about his own people know him better than we do? So his own people have rejected him. And you're going to take on this trouble and you're going to start a war. This is going to be on your head. You're starting a war off. His own people have rejected him. If you believe this, the whole Arab nation is going to go against you. You're asking for trouble. Don't do it. My advice is don't do it. Don't listen to him. Rasulullah became quite upset on their response and he returned. So here, look, he became upset. It's not as if just because he was a prophet, 
Um, it didn't affect, of course, it affected him. But how was he able to carry on? Because his goal wasn't just the numbers, wasn't just the outcome and the result. His goal was to please Allah. And his goal was to do what Allah told him, carry out your message of calling. Allah didn't tell him, you need 10 people by the end of today. That, Allah didn't say that. Or you need this many, no. You carry out the message. Of course he wanted people to listen to him. Because that was a purpose of him preaching. But whether they did or not, that wasn't his, his responsibility. So their, their kind of response made him upset the way they spoke to him and the way they addressed him. Now, these people, after they spoke to the Prophet they went to the rest of the tribe. And they told the rest of the tribe about the discussion. There was a Jewish person amongst them. And he said that you've wasted such a great opportunity. That was a huge opportunity that you had. Had you accepted his message, you would eventually become the leaders of the Arabs. You would have become the leaders. You had a great opportunity. And we have his qualities mentioned in our Torah. He pulls out the Torah. And as he started reading from the scripture, describing the Prophet the final Prophet, they confirmed every single description that he read out regarding him. Every single description. And he even said that according to our scriptures, he's going to appear in Mecca and he's going to migrate to Yathrib. That's how we find so many Jews in Medina during the time of the Prophet before his arrival. That was a London where Jewish people lived. How did so many Jews arrive in Medina? This is why in their scriptures he already mentioned very, very clearly that he's going to appear in Mecca. He's going to migrate to the land of date palm trees, which was Yathrib. It was known at the time. And they went and settled there from way before his arrival. And that's how you had the tribe of the Jews already settled in Medina waiting for him to come. They made a pact amongst themselves. Now, hadith over, they've gone. This discussion is happening after they've all gone back to their places. They all made a pact amongst themselves that the following Hajj season, they're going to go and meet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and they're going to listen to him and maybe even accept his message. However, their chief, who remembers the name, the name of the chief hmm. it does begin with me no no didn't get that one Mulayyih so their chief Mulayyih that year he prevented everyone from going for Hajj so this year nobody goes for Hajj something the people of the UK should have done last year to boycott Mutawwif so that they would have ended that system and made it easy for everyone. But khair, this is, this is the, the love people have for the house of Allah that made them go and were willing to pay anything, regardless, even if they didn't have the money people were. Um, but anyhow, so that year they couldn't go. During that year, the year that they were banned from going from their chief, the Jewish man passed away. And it said that whilst he was passing away, 
he was testifying to the prophethood of the Prophet and he was saying, I have accepted Islam. So even though he was a Jewish person, he didn't see the Prophet he just heard from these people. The people around him, they say that when he was on his deathbed, he was testifying that Muhammad is the Prophet of Allah and he died as a Muslim in this condition. So that was one of the tribes. So the Prophet tried in Banu Kinda, nothing really happened. But then again, look, what you see in front of you and what happened behind the scenes, no one accepted from them. But then a Jewish man, although he already had the book, but he was inspired by hearing that they actually met this person who's mentioned in the book, which led him to then accepting Islam. So you don't know. We're responsible for making the effort for trying. The result is in the hand of Allah. So after the Kinda tribe, the Prophet went to the second one, which was Bakr bin Wahid. But let me try these people. Same thing. He goes, Mimmarin Qawm. Where are you guys from? They say we're from Bakr bin Wa'il. Min Bakr ibn Wa'il. From Bakr bin Wa'il tribe, which branch are you from? So they said, Bin Bani Qais bin Tha'laba. We are from Banu Qais bin Tha'laba. Kafir Adad. How many people are you in this particular group? How many people are you? They said we are like moist soil in number. Soil. How much soil is there in the world? Loads. Right. Well, no, you, you can't count us. There's too many of us. Too many. What's your defense like? Right. You have like an army. How strong are you? Remember, what, what was the Prophet looking for? Protect. Even when he went for Ta'if, that's what he was looking for. And that's not against Tawakkul. Need, needing people's help to support your mission. That's not going against Tawakkul. You can't do it alone. It's not possible. The Prophet himself recognized and realized he can't go on it alone. It's not going to work. He already tried for so long. And that's as far as they got. He knows now that now he's going to need. This is the time. Now he's, whatever he could do, he did. Yeah, he started it off alone. It didn't stop him that no one was with him. He started it off. He moved ahead. He moved forward. But as far as he could. But now it's come to a stage he knows the opposition, the hostility is too much. And if he wanted to carry on just within that circle, then it's fine. But if he wanted to grow, he knew he needed protection. He went to party for this reason. That is what he asked the people and they ridiculed him. Now every tribe is going to, three things he's asking. What were they? Number one, believe in Allah and abandon the idols. Number two, grant me protection. Number three, I promise you Jannah. These were the three things he presented to everyone. So here, look, he's, from his questioning, you can tell. He wants to know, okay, you, you're large in numbers. How strong are you though? Because he wants to know that, are these people any good in protecting me so I can carry out the message? So they said, we're very large in number. We're not very strong though. Why? If you've got so many numbers, why are you weak? Why would you be weak with such less numbers? They said, we are neighbors to Persia. We don't have the power to protect ourselves. Remember, Persia was one of the superpowers. We don't have the, protect, the power to protect ourselves. And we're in need of them to protect ourselves. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, now he figured them out. He knew exactly. Can you see, in this one conversation, he figured out exactly where their pain point was 
where the weak spot and soft spot is, what their worry was. So he addressed that rather than talking about other things. He stuck to one thing. And he said, O oh people of Banu Bakr bin Wa'il, I can see a time coming that you people will be living in the homes of the Persians. Right? This is, he could tell that this is what's overpowering their minds and their heads. So he's telling them, he's speaking to their hearts and their minds. He says, I can see a time coming. You're going to be living in the houses of the Persians. You'll be marrying their women. You'll be enslaving their children. And to achieve this, it's very easy. Think of what is it? Because every day, say 33 times subhanallah, 33 times alhamdulillah, 34 times Allahu Akbar. They were startled. Like they, it was right. But they didn't know what to say. Therefore, he was going to say something uh, in terms of, you know, attack them or do something. When they heard this, they were like, they, were, they just froze for a bit. They said, who are you? Who are you? Like, how can you come up with things like this? The Persians, they, they were petrified of the Persians. And he's telling them that very soon you're going to be owning their homes, marrying their women, enslaving their young men, and roaming their lands, just by saying these few things. So they said, who are you? The Prophet said, Allah, 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 I am the messenger of Allah. Then he left from them. They did not really respond. Abu Lahab was watching. Remember, he would follow him around. So Abu Lahab was watching. He'd follow him around. He said, don't listen to him. Don't listen to what he's got to say. So the people of the Banu Bakr bin Wa'il tribe asked him, do you know who he is? Who, who was he? Who was he? So Abu Lahab said, yes, I know exactly who he is. He's from the most noble and the highest of tribes. That's who he is. That's where he's like, he's blowing his own trumpet here. Because he's from the most noble and the highest of tribes. But why are you asking specifically? Like, you want to know about him, what are you asking? Is there anything specific you want to know about him? Tribe, I've told you. What do you want to know specifically? So the, did you hear what he just said? He said that we're going to be living in the homes of the Persians, marrying their women, enslaving their young men, and roaming around in their lands. Abu Lahab said, beware. Don't fall for his tricks. Na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah. Abu Lahab said, he's insane. He comes up with all sorts of things. The people go, yeah, we noticed. We noticed when he told us that we're going to overpower the Persians. We thought, this man's crazy. Na'udhu billahi min dhalik. This has been mentioned in Al-Bidaya wa Nihaya of Hafiz ibn Kathir. So, Banu Kinda tried no result beside the one Yahudi. Banu Bakr bin Wa'il were given such a great promise by the Prophet You and I can appreciate this, but they didn't appreciate him. And nothing. Banu Shayba bin Fa'laba. So now, along with Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Ali radiallahu anhuma, the Prophet went to Banu Shayba bin Fa'laba. And in that particular tribe, there were certain people present. Mafruq bin Amr, Hani bin Qabisa, Muthanna bin Haritha, and Nu'man bin Shari. These were the people that were present at the time when the Prophet was discussing. Abu Bakr approaches and he asks, Have you heard about Allah's final Prophet? He goes to the people. 
Have you heard about Allah's final prophet? And then when we've heard some rumors, he goes, that's him. Pointed to the Prophet that's him. I've brought him to you guys, that's him. So the man called Mafruq, he comes forward. And he said that we've heard claims, we've heard that he claims to be a prophet. And he addressed the Prophet Now, throughout his whole discussion, he's going to address the Prophet by saying, O Qurayshi, O Qurayshi. So he says, O Qurayshi, what's up? Like, what, 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 what are you all about? What's this discussion that you're saying? You're telling everybody that you're a prophet. Like, tell us, we want to know. So the Prophet came forward and he sat down. And Abu Bakr was stood above the Prophet He took off his cloak and he was shading the Prophet from the intensity and the heat of the sun. So the Prophet walks forward, he sits down, calmly to speak, even though he called him, in, you know, the way he spoke to him, he, he, he shades him. And the Prophet says to this man, this is the message he gave to this man called Mafruq. He said, I'm inviting you to believe that there is no God besides Allah. He's alone, he doesn't have any partners. And that I am his messenger. And that you support me, you protect me, and you assist me until I can go and preach the word of Allah, how he has instructed me. Quraysh, they have this opportunity, but they have turned their backs on me and they have chosen falsehood over that which is truthful. So the man Mafruq, he goes, Oh Qurayshi, do you have anything else to say? Besides, is that it? Are you finished? Do you call to anything else? And the Prophet ﷺ recited the verses from Surah An'am, Surah 151 to 153. Uh, he, he recited some of these verses. Uh, I, I, I can't these words that you've just recited, we can assure you they're not the words of a human being. These are not the words of a human being. Had they been the words of a human being, we would have known. So one thing he goes, I can, I can say that these are not the words of a human being. The Prophet said, yes, I've got something else to say. And then he recited, Inna the Prophet when he recited this one ayah, Mafruq said, O Qurayshi, Wallahi, you have invited us to the highest level of good character. Indeed, anyone refuting you has swayed away from the truth. Now, Mafruq is impressed by the Prophet words. He wanted to invite Hani bin Qabisa, who was one of the other people, in the conversation. So he calls him, he introduces, said, Look, O Quraysh, this is one of our seniors. His name is Hani bin Qabisa. 
So Hadi comes forward. He says, Oh Qurayshi, I've heard your words and I agree with it. I personally think for us to leave our old religion and accept your new religion in this gathering here is going to open a kind of works. It's going to cause a lot of issues. We don't know where the beginning of it's going to be, where the end of it's going to be. Like now, if you want us to accept right now where we are, I, I, I like what you're saying. But if you're telling us to abandon our old religion right here and adopt the new religion which you're in preaching us towards, I can see a potential issues arising. And generally we know that mistakes are made when people are hasty. So we don't want to rush into something like this. We want to think this through. We've got a whole tribe following us. There's just a few of us here. If we make a decision on their behalf in haste, we're worried that they're going to rebel against us. So we don't want to make any agreements behind their backs. We're going to go back. You go back. We're going to go back. You think about it. Let us think about it as well. So they don't accept as well and they go back to their people. Muthanna bin Haritha is the third person sitting there. Hani introduced Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam to the third person and introduced him by saying, this is the commander of our tribe. Muthanna then says, O oh Qurayshi, I've heard your words. I'm really impressed with what you've got to say. I'm kind of speechless. From what you've said, I don't have anything I can refute it with. I say the same as Hani though. We live between two waters, Yamama and Samawa. The Prophet said, which two waters are you talking about? And Muthanna said that we live between the coast of Bahrain and the Persian Gulf. So you've got the Persian Gulf, you can see. So if they're from that Arabian area, even Bahrain is in the middle, isn't it? And you've got on, on one side, further on, you've got Persian uh, kind of lands, Iraq and Iran and that land. And then you've got the Arabian land on this side. So you think we're in the middle and we've got agreement uh, with these people. So we kind of live there and where we've got agreement with Kisra from Persia. And the Kisra agreement is that we will not, he's made us sign an agreement that we will not introduce any new ideas in the land. Nothing new. He's okay with what we're worshipping, although it's not the same as them. But any new ideas that we introduce, he's told us we're not allowed to introduce any new religion, any new ideas. The religion you invite us towards, we know it will enrage the kings and the rulers that are in our surrounding lands. Those living in the lands bordering Arabia will be okay. So the, the ones towards Arabia will be fine. Because you, you know in Arabia you know, there was no kings, there was no rulers, it was just tribes. So they'll be fine. But the ones living towards the Persian side, they won't be okay. If you want us to support you with the lands bordering Arabia, that's something we can do. We can grant you protection from the people that are living there. But in terms of accepting your message right now, that's not something we can decide on behalf of everybody. Rasulullah said, what if Allah grants you control over those lands? over the homes, over the women of the slaves. You just have to praise and glorify Allah. Allah will give you the Persian lands. And Norman bin Sharik, um, he was the next person and he spoke up. He said, oh Qurayshi, 
Allah is our witness. I just want to say one thing. The victory is surely going to be yours. From the way you're speaking and the way you're addressing us, we can see that you're going somewhere. You're going to go really far with this. Rasulullah responded to his words by saying, Inna arsalnaka shahidan wa mubashiran wa nadira wa da'iyan ila Allahi bi idnihi wa sirajan munira. That, oh, messenger, we have sent you as a witness, as a giver of glad tidings and a warner, and an invited towards Allah, wa sirajan munira, a radiant light, an illuminating light, and a lantern going and spreading light everywhere. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was sitting down, remember. He grabbed the hand of Abu Bakr Radiallahu to take uh, support. Abu Bakr Radiallahu pulled the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam up. And whilst praising their character, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam liked the way they came across. One by one, you know, they introduced each other, they spoke to him. Ya Abu Bakrin, ayyatu akhlaqin fil jahiliyya ma ashrafaha. Oh Abu Bakr, what amazing character they have in Jahiliya as well. How noble is their character despite them being in Jahiliya. Through this character, Allah will protect them from the evil of others. And through this character, Allah will keep away calamities from them because they have this good character within them. Ibn Kathir mentions that after some time, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came out to the Sahaba and said, Udu'u li ikhwanikum min Rabi'ah, faqad ahatak bihim al-yawm abna'u Faris. So this is happening after some time. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came out to his Sahaba and said, Make dua for the people of Banu Rabi'ah because the Persians are attacking them. So the Sahaba went home, they started making dua. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam making made dua. The Prophet sallallahu returned afterwards and he said, Ihmadullah kathira. Praise Allah in abundance. He says that, praise Allah, Allah has granted victory to the Banu Rabi'ah over the Persians. The same people later on, it happened. The Prophet was informed by Wahi. And he said that they went and killed the oppressors and they were able to take over the military and take over the lands and they were granted assistance through me. So the scholars have mentioned, and this is in Al-Bigaya and Bihaya, a battle took place on the coast of the Qarq in a place called Quraqir, close to the Euphrates River. When they faced the enemies, so these people who had this conversation with the Prophet when they faced the enemies, meaning the Persians in this battle, they started saying, Ya Muhammad, they're not even Muslims, but they started using the Prophet name to encourage each other. And they, 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 they are encouraging each other and exciting each other by saying the Prophet they're not Muslims. And they're saying, Ya Muhammad, remembering the Prophet not worshipping him. They're not even Muslims, they don't even believe in him. But they're using his name as a code word in their battle. So whenever the enemy would come, they would say, Ya Muhammad, and they would die. He would give them energy. They would be revived. They would remember the Prophet even though they hadn't accepted Islam, but they were impressed with what he said and his message. 
And they remembered that. Remember what he said to them that you people, you're going to overpower the Persians. So by saying this, they would remember his message and they would go. And Allah granted them victory and they succeeded in, in the battle through the barakah of the name of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Later on, they accepted Islam. Later on, they accepted Islam. So that was one of the tribes. Another tribe was Banu Amir bin Sa'sa'a. Remember we said the third tribe, Banu Amir bin Sa'sa'a. So Rasulullah goes over to the tribe of Banu Amir bin Sa'sa'a, invited them to Islam. Remember what we said, what does it mean invited them to Islam? Same three things. Invited them, don't worship anyone besides Allah. No idol worship, worship Allah alone, number one. Number two, grant me protection so I can freely Call people to Allah. And number three, I promise you, if you do one and two, you will get Jannah. One person said, I'd love to use this man to take over all of the Arabs. Meaning, it would be a really good idea if we accept his message. And through him, we can take over all of the Arabs and then we'll become the kings and the rulers. So they, were, they had like ulterior motives. Someone else asked, if we were to follow you, and Allah grants us victory and dominance over all of the Arabs. Will you make us amongst the leading party? Will you make us amongst the rulers as well? Will we, will we have a share, a, a seat in your government? The Prophet said, Al-Amru Kingdom, rule, control belongs to Allah. He gives it to who he wants. I can't give kingdom to anybody. So they said, Basically, you're saying we should put our necks on the line, sacrifice our lives for you, and when the time comes, you're going to give everything to somebody else. That doesn't make sense to us. You're telling us put our necks on the line, make all the sacrifices, because we know we're going to face a lot of trouble from not, not just our people, but from all of the Arabs. They're going to wage war against us. We'll lose our lives. We'll lose our livelihood. And then when the time comes to take the prize, you're going to hand it over to somebody else. We have no need for such a religion. That's what they said. And this is how they rejected the message of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now after the people returned from Hajj. So this remember, this is all happening in the Hajj. The people returned from Hajj. Banu Amir went to one of the old wise men, a wise old man in their tribe back home. And he became very old. He, he was so old that he couldn't go for Hajj. That's it. He, he remained behind. And what would happen is, in the years now, he wasn't going for Hajj. When people would come back from Hajj, he would take a feedback, Karbuzari, from these people. Like, tell me what happened. How was the Hajj? What happened? Who was there? Who wasn't there? Any major event? Any incidents? So they came to him and they started telling him, and he asked him, what happened in the Hajj? They told him, this is what happened, we went, we met so-and-so people, this is what we got, this is the training that we did. Anything peculiar happened? Yeah, there was this man, he claimed to be a prophet and he invited us and we kind of said that, you know, will, we get, will you make us rulers? And we said, he said, no, that's not something he can do and we rejected him. So the old man went like this, put his hands on his head. Because you, you guys have lost it. You've lost the plot. Are you guys crazy? Are you mad? Is there any way of making up for what you've done? Is there any way you could go back and apologize to him for speaking to him in this manner? He said that there is no doubt in what he's saying. 
Where did your intellect go? Why did you not listen to him and accept his message? And this is Ibn Hisham has mentioned this. And now he's encouraging them to try to find an opportunity to go again and meet him in the following year. Another tribe, the Prophet normally these things we don't hear when we talk about the seerah. He didn't just go to Ta'if, right? After Ta'if, he's going to so many other tribes. Any opportunity he found, and there were loads of tribes because in the Hajj they were visiting and they were camping out there. Rasulullah went to Banu Kal. Now, Banu Kal is a massive tribe. You can't go to all of the tribes. So, he went to one branch of Banu Kal, which is Banu Abdullah. So, he went to the Banu Abdullah branch of Banu Kal. And again, he invited them, you know, the same three things I've been mentioning. And he said, Ya Bani Abdullah, Inna Allah Azza wa Jal, Qad Ahsana Isma Abikum. Allah has honored your father's name. Like, Honor your father's name. Because of your father's name, he, he, basically he's saying that the objective was for them to honor their father's name. Stop worshipping idols. You're Banu Abdullah. Abdullah. You're from the tribe of the slaves of Allah. Honor your forefather's name. Why are you worshipping idols? Worship Allah. Become Abdullah. Why are you worshipping idols? Worship only one Allah. They didn't accept. An elderly man, Again from amongst them said, what this youth, meaning Muhammad sallallahu is calling towards is very good. What he's calling towards is very good. However, his own people have pushed him away. If he was to reconcile with his own people, the entire Arab would follow them and we would follow them as well. But until he doesn't reconcile with his own people, we'll just play it safe. Now the Prophet ﷺ goes to Banu Hudayfa. When he went to Banu Hudayfa, he invited them to Islam again, same three things. They responded in a very horrible way. Probably the worst response he got from any of the Arab tribes was from the Banu Hudayfa. They used highly offensive words. Uh, Sayyiduna Amir ibn Salama is from Banu Hudayfa. He accepted Islam later on. Uh, towards the end of the Prophet ﷺ's life. He says, his own story says, I remember seeing the Prophet ﷺ consecutively for three years. So every year they came for Hajj, because I used to see him. He would end up coming where our tribe was in the markets of Uqar and Dhul-Majaz and all of the other markets that were there. And he says, we didn't accept his call and we never responded in a good way. Even though we would verbally abuse him, we'd say such horrible things to him, he always spoke to us kindly, he tolerated our views, he never rebuked us, he carried on coming to us. At the start of the year, he says that I came to Hajar, a place called Hajar, and I met a man called Hawza bin Ali. He asked me, do you have any news on this year's Hajj? I said, yes, there's a man of Quraysh, he's going around the tribes, he's calling them to one Allah and promising them paradise and asking for protection. Same three things. So Hawda asked, which tribe of Quraysh is he from? Which tribe of Quraysh? So I said, he's from the best of the tribes of Quraysh, the Banu Abdul Muttalib. So Hawda, he asked, are you talking about Muhammad bin Abdullah bin Abdul Muttalib? He said, yes, that's exactly who I'm speaking about. The Hawda said, his religion, if you're speaking about him, his religion will become dominant. His religion is going to become dominant. So I asked him, Will it spread elsewhere or just in Arabia? 
So Hawda said, no, his religion is going to spread to all places, not just in Arabia. And the same thing happened the second year, the same thing happened the third year. For three years, this same incident happened. I'd go and meet Hawda and this conversation we had. The third year, we had the same conversation as well. By this time, the third time, the religion had already spread. Islam had started to spread and people, every, everyone's talking about him. He began to talk of the town in the Hajj. And I even heard that the Khazraj tribe has followed him as well. I came back to Hawda and he asked me again, that how's it going? I told him Islam has now spread far and wide, although people are still opposing him. There's a lot of people who still oppose him. I said that we should have followed him back then. When we first came across him, we should have followed him then. Um, it was too late. They lost the opportunity. Another tribe was Banu Maharib. The Prophet went to Banu Maharib bin Hafsa. He found an elderly man amongst them who was 120 years old. He spoke to him, invited him to Islam, and asked for protection, promised paradise. He responded by saying, your people know your station situation much better. Your people know your situation much better. Any, anyone following you is a loser. If your people know you, if they don't follow you, they must know something about you. So I think anyone from amongst us who follows you is a loser. And it's the worst thing a Haji can return with. People will go for Hajj and they'll go back with a lot of things because it was a place not just for Ibadah, it was a place for business as well and trade. So he says, from all the things people are taking back with them, the worst thing anyone can take back is Islam, or whatever you're preaching towards. So don't bother talking to me. Abu Lahab was hanging around again, as usual. He was hearing the conversation. And Abu Lahab went to the old man and said, if everyone around here became like you and spoke to Muhammad the way you did, then even Muhammad would leave the religion. We need more people like you to tell him uh, and speak to him harshly. Na'udhu Billah, he says, my nephew, he's a Sabi, he's a big liar. Don't listen to him. The Muharibi said, oh Abu Utbah, addressing Abu Lahab, oh Abu Utbah, maybe he's gone mad. We have some good doctors amongst us. We can possibly get him treated. Now, there was a man called Salama bin Qais. He came to him whilst he was by a well. The Prophet is still there. He's uh, sitting next to he's, he's on a well. He's just sitting there on the edge of a well. And the man Salama bin Qais, he gets really angry. He runs towards the Prophet and he tried to push the Prophet into the well. And the Prophet noticed him coming, he stood up and he moved away. And he managed to escape from there. And the man said that if you had fallen into the well, we would have been safe from you. We wouldn't have to listen to all this talk that you're doing and all these messages that you're giving us. And the Prophet quickly rode his camel and started going away. And people started throwing thrones, throwing stones. So what we hear in Taif, we're seeing that people ridiculed him, rejected him, threw stones at him, physically abused him, even here as well. And the Prophet ﷺ, as he was riding away and stones were being showered upon him, the Prophet ﷺ said, Allahumma innaka law shikta lam yakunu hakada. That, oh Allah, if you wanted, this would have never happened. Oh Allah, if you wanted, this would have never happened. Wa inna kulubahum biyadi and their hearts are in your hand. You know them better. 
فإن كان هذا أنصحة لك علي فلك العتبة If you're angry with me, that's why this is happening. Well, my aim is to just please you. And if you're not angry with me, then I'm not worried about anything. I will carry on. If this is what you want me to experience, so be it. Althea is much better for me. If this is what you want me to experience, my aim is to please you. Wala hawla wala quwwata illa bi. So this was the response. And this dua is very similar to what he prayed in. Ta'if, when people threw stones on him then as well. The Prophet would go to Mina. That's part of the Hajj as well. So he's going to the markets, he's going to Mina. Now Mina people are gathering in large numbers. And he went to the Banu Abbas tribe, in particular Banu Abbas. And in the Banu Abbas tribe, the person narrating the story is saying, We come by the Jamaratul Uqba. You know the Jamarat in Mina, the Sayyidin that people felt. So our, our camp was there. So we had pitched our tents and we were staying there. So the Prophet came riding on an animal. Zayd ibn Haritha was riding behind him. And he invited us to Islam. He told us about the protection. He told us about Jannah. We didn't accept his message. We'd already heard bad rumors about him. By now, everybody was talking about him. They're saying, like, beware of this man. He's coming round to the tribes. If he comes to you, don't listen to him, etc. Maisara was with us. And he said that had we listened to him and protected him, it would be better for us. His religion is going to prosper. And we said, look, you're putting us into trouble. If we follow him, everyone's going to oppose us. The Prophet ﷺ noticed from amongst them, Maisara seemed to be more interested. So he went to Maisara and he spoke to him. And Maisara said, the thing is, my people won't support me. I am willing to accept, but I don't have the support from the people. Maisara suggested to speak to some of the Jews that lived in a place called Fadak. So they go back from there, from the Hajj. And he went to Fadak and he met some of the Jews there. The Jews opened the Torah and they went on a specific page. And they began reciting some verses from the Torah. This is what they read from the Torah. In the Torah it says, this is what they're reading now, because he's gone and asked the Jews. He will be an unlettered Arab prophet. Speaking about the final prophet. He will be an unlettered, meaning Ummi, and Nabi al-Ummi, al-Arabi. He will be an unlettered Arab prophet. Riding a camel, he will suffice on crumbs. He won't want a big meal. Even if he gets some crumbs of food, he will just suffice on that. Will be moderately tall. His hair will not be fully straight, not fully curly in between. There will be red lines running in his both eyes. Very descriptive. From the Torah, this is. He will be reddish whitish in complexion. This is the description, they opened the Torah and read it. They'd seen him. And they said, that's him. That's exactly what, what you've said. That's him. The Jews of Fadak said, even though the Jews did not believe in the Prophet they said, accept his invite. And if he asks you to enter his religion, enter into his religion. We Jews are jealous of him. That's why we don't follow him. He was very clear. We are jealous of him, that's why we don't follow him. He read it from their own book. From their own book, he's reading it. 
And seeing where did it, why did the, why did so many Jews end up in Medina? Because the scripture told them that's where he's going to come. When he arrived, they all decided not to follow him. Why? Because he wasn't a Jew. That's all. Because he was an Arab. But that was also told to them as well. But remember, you can't become a Jew. It grows in the mother, in, from the mother's bloodline. And they consider anyone who is a non-Jew as a goyim, which is a beast, an animal. So, whoever, and this is what they tried to say regarding uh, Ismail, where the Torah clearly mentions that Ibrahim had Ibrahim and Ishaq. They changed the wording of the Torah. So now when they read it, they say, Allah said, O oh Ibrahim, take your only son, Ishaq. Whereas they didn't, they, this, why, there is mention of Ismail in their books. Why are they saying only son? Because Ismail isn't worthy of being addressed as a human. He's your son, but he's not a person. He's a beast, Goyim. This is what they use. So his progeny and anyone who comes from there, that bloodline, they're not people. They're not special people. They are non-Jews, so not special people. They have been created to serve us. So he was very clear and he said that we don't follow him because we're jealous of him. We will face many trials due to him because we don't follow him. But you should follow him. You, you, you've got nothing to be jealous about. You should follow him. So they, amongst themselves, they said the next time is Hajj, we will go and meet him. Uh, and the following year they went in Hajj, but the people didn't accept. The people of the tribe, they, they didn't want to accept. In Hajjatul Wada, the next year was the 10th after Hijrah, which was the Hajjatul Wada. And uh, this person who was speaking about, what's his name? Maysara. Maysara himself met the Prophet and he cried. And he said, do you know what? I should have accepted Islam earlier. Please forgive me, I'm coming very late because the Prophet ﷺ passes away almost what, six months after this? So he's coming towards the end of the Prophet's life, although he's been seeing him every single year, hearing the message, believing in it. But he said that you're nothing without your community. You're nothing without people. Because when, when you fall into trouble, you need people, you need the support. So until everybody else around you doesn't, I, I don't want to accept. And because of this, he wasn't able to accept. And then he came to the Prophet ﷺ in Hajjatul Wada. He sees him. He goes to the Prophet ﷺ and says, Please, so I'm really sorry. I should have accepted years ago. I've come very, very late. But I've got one thing I want to say. Most of the people that were with me, they've all died. They've all died. Can you tell me about them? Like, please, like, is there any hope for them? They would have, you know, if I would have brought them with me, they would have accepted today as well. You know, what happens? What happens to those people who died? And the Prophet ﷺ had to break it to him. Anybody who dies on any other religion except Islam, they are in the hellfire. They didn't accept. They had the opportunity to accept. They didn't accept. Maysara uh, accepts Islam in Hajjatul Wada on the hand of the Prophet ﷺ. And later, Abu Bakr really valued him. He utilized him and he really valued him. And the last tribe I'm going to speak about is the Banu Ghassan. The Prophet ﷺ went to the Banu Ghassan in the Uqaz market. They were large in number. He invited them to Islam. 
one man said that this is the same person that the Ahlul Kitab speak about and they say that in our books it's been mentioned regarding this man they said that only one prophet remains now all the prophets have come and there's only one prophet remaining they also say that his name will be Ahmed so let's believe in him the people say let's believe in him they say that his message will prosper all over and we will become the first amongst the Arabs to accept no one's listened to him yet in terms of a whole tribe this is a good chance we'll be the first of the Arabs and his message is going to go everywhere we'll gain dominance as well you've got dunya and akhirah both so some people said look if the Romans discover that we have accepted Islam they will exile us from our lands let's go back to our home country let's go back to our lands we'll test the waters we'll see what the Romans are saying and then we'll decide so a man told the Prophet wasallam that look my people are not ready to accept right now we really want to but it seems they're not ready and the Prophet wasallam he said, hearts are in the hands of Allah. You can't change anyone, I can't change anyone. Hearts are in the hands of Allah. We can only try. If they're saying they're not ready now, they're not ready now. I'm not going to force anything on them. It's up to them if they want to accept. So they returned sometime later. The Prophet spoke to them again. said, we'll discuss it with our people and we'll meet you next year. Someone threatened them and said, if you accept Islam, the Romans will exile you, they'll kill you. And you know when someone like fear mongering goes on and someone like really scares you about something, you just take it out of your head, like forget it. So they stopped mentioning the Prophet name from then on. They said, let's not discuss that topic. Close the topic because you know it's it's too much. Being exiled from our land will get killed. We don't want that to happen. So besides the tribes that I've mentioned, there's tens of other tribes that the Prophet ﷺ went to, he spoke to, he invited. However, none of them accepted Islam. None. Zero. Remember, he, is, he wanted to go to a tribe, find a tribe that, number one, accepts Islam, number two, grants him protection. He needed not just one or two people accepting that that was happening individuals were accepting small number very small number he was after a whole tribe so that he would get that support that community and the protection however the Baqat ibn Sa'ad is mentioned that none of the tribes accepted Islam and on here we end for today so you've seen how the Prophet ﷺ tried and a lot of times we think of the Prophet ﷺ we think of the Sahaba in Medina, we think of you know, the thousands of people that gathered in the battles or Hajjatul Wada. But look over here, no one's really listening. He faced a lot of rejection, a lot. Imagine facing rejection every single day. Every day he's being criticized, he's being spattered, he's being sworn at. Um, and he's going with so much hope. Every day he's trying something new and people are just throwing it at his face. They are being rude to him, they're ridiculing him, they're calling him names and people are almost ready to accept and then somebody speaks up and says no, no, don't listen to him. So that your hopes are going up and they're coming down again, hope is going up and down again. And despite this, the Prophet ﷺ continued and carried on and now this will bring us to the next chapter in our discussion inshallah. 
for next week where we will start discussing Isra and Mi'raj. So this is when it happens. So it's not immediately after Ta'if. Ta'if has happened prior to that. Khadija radiallahu anha passed away. Abu Talib also died. And then after this has been to many other tribes to see, okay, people of Ta'if didn't accept. Maybe in the Hajj, other tribes will accept. But he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried. But not even one tribe accepted Islam in totality. Uh, and this will now go on to, inshallah, speaking about Al-Isra' Al-Mi'raj from the next session. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the true love of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Akhiru da'wana, alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.